0: But what we know about Indigenous health in this country is that the life expectancy is 10 years shorter for an Indigenous Australian than a non-Indigenous Australian.
1: Say that again, Stephen.
0: 10 Um, years. 10 years. A a bit uh, more for for males than for females. Mm -hmm. And
1: welcome to the Grattan Institute podcast channel. Welcome to the Grattan podcast channel. I'm Paul Austin, the editor at Grattan Institute. And today we're discussing the medical profession in Australia. The fees they charge, the way they deal with patients and the ethics they practice. These issues and more are canvassed in a new code of conduct for doctors drafted by the Medical Board of Australia and entitled Good Medical Practice. To assess the code and make sense of some of these debates, I'm joined by Gretton Institute's Health Program Director, Stephen Duckett, who has submitted a critique of the code to the Medical Board and written a range of articles assessing its merits and suggesting improvements. Stephen, welcome. Thanks, Paul. Can I begin by asking you to just set the scene for us, Stephen? Exactly what is the Medical Board of Australia and why has it seen the need to produce this draft code of conduct?
0: So the Medical Board of Australia is the regulatory body. It's the body that uh, licences medical practitioners to work in the country. It approves whether an international medical graduate can can uh, can work in Australia as a doctor. And as well as that function, it, it also sets... Uh, the parameters for medical practice you know what is professional practice in this country and what is in a sense in that in that sense the ethical way that doctors should work and so there's been a code of conduct in place for a while Mm -hmm. and it is decided to review the code of conduct and and put a new one out uh, partly to take account of developments including Uh, the report that I did into uh, quality and safety in Victoria.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's an important document, but you see several flaws. Your submission to the medical board is entitled Good Medical Practice Needs to be Founded on Patients' Rights. And I think that goes to your most fundamental criticism of the draft.
0: So basically any ethical code has to be grounded somewhere you know what is it grounded historically in the Hippocratic Oath Mm -hmm. Uh, is it grounded in some other sets of ethical principles and the the, this code doesn't make clear what it's grounded in in fact it says that it is not about patient rights and when I read that I thought hang on ought ought not the very basis of medical practice be Mm. about the patient Mm. ought not the very basis of the professional conduct be about promoting what is good for the patient and promoting patients' rights. Now, Australia has a a charter of health rights, which Mm -hmm. has been endorsed by governments. And I thought, why don't we say the very basis of medical professionalism ought to be about patient rights and what patients can expect that they ought to receive that the charter of rights says i ought to i have a right to receive safe and high quality care so why ought not that sort of principle be the fundamental principle underlying the the new code of conduct and also the code of conduct in my view should incorporate all those rights into what it means to be a professional so in turn if a doctor doesn't do those things they're not working professionally.
1: Okay. So let's break it down a bit to some of its um, component parts. The Code does include a section on Indigenous Australians. So surely that's a good thing? Oh, absolutely a good thing. And
0: and look, almost everything in the Code is worthy. Mm-hmm. You, you, can't, you can't say any of it is bad. My contention is it doesn't go far enough. And take... Take Indigenous, for example. It, it incorporates explicitly recognition of the problems of Indigenous health and, and recognition of the, the right to uh, cultural, you know, that services ought to be cultural comp- culturally competent. But what we know about Indigenous health in this country is that the life expectancy is 10 years shorter for an Indigenous Australian than a non-Indigenous Australian. Say that again, Stephen, um, 10 years. 10 years, a, b- a bit... Uh, more for uh, for for males than for females, mm-hmm. and what we what we also know is every time anybody has done a study of the quality of care or access issues, Indigenous people have come out worse. Mm-hmm. We've we're in the middle of a uh, preparing a report here on out of pocket costs, and so we've looked at. Uh, out-of-pocket costs for Indigenous versus non-Indigenous Australians. And surprise, surprise, Indigenous Australians have higher levels of out-of-pocket costs, more likely to not see a doctor because of costs and so on. Mm. So every time anybody's done a study. And so what some, uh, an, an academic who's done a lot of work on this, Professor Judith Dwyer, has said is this cannot just be random. Mm-hmm. It has to be an example of systemic racism. So systemic racism is real with damaging effects, on access and quality for Indigenous Australians. So what I said, the the code ought to recognise that. The code ought to up the ante on this issue of Indigenous health status. And we ought to be saying, look, we recognise there is systemic racism. And so the job of every health professional, including the medical practitioners covered by this code, should be to recognise that and take steps to address it in their practice. So, not you know, just bringing it up in the in the profile, bringing it, getting people to pay more attention to that issue.
1: So, how precisely should the code be strengthened to confront that issue of this this bias, this this racism, even unconscious racism?
0: Yeah. So, we're not saying that uh, you know, that health professionals, medical professionals, set out to be racist. Sometimes it's just unconscious in, mm-hmm. in, in what they're doing they might say we're going to try and treat everybody equally well that's not enough when you're starting from an unequal position and so there are a, a number of sp- um, uh, requirements in the code of what a professional is and what we're saying is you would need to add a new one that non-indigenous australians may that that medical professionals, health professionals, ought to recognise that non-Indigenous Australians may exercise unconscious bias in their treatment of Indigenous Australians and they need to take steps to overcome that bias and address the impacts of discrimination in their treatment decisions. So specifically forcing people to think about overcoming their own implicit biases.
1: Mm. Okay, what about... um Doctor's fees, a really hot-button issue in Australia. The fees charged by some doctors, especially specialists, have been pretty roundly condemned in the media and elsewhere recently. Uh, Firstly, is that criticism fair? And secondly, will this code of conduct help?
0: Well, doctor's fees, uh, are some some doctors uh, charge significantly higher fees than others and what is attracting criticism is not only the level of fees but the fact that they're a surprise that patients don't realize the level of fees that they're going to be charged Mm -hmm. and so what the code does is say that is the problem the transparency of fees is the problem and they've got a number of Uh, statements in the code which say that professional conduct must involve transparency of fees well again that doesn't go far enough Mm -hmm. because if you go to a gp uh it's almost certainly going to have a prescription it's almost very often you'll have a referral to a pathologist or a, a diagnostic imaging service yes and you may not know what the fees of those are and you may not be able to afford your prescription so you know you hear anecdotes about people fronting up to the chemist and saying i can't afford these four prescriptions which one is the most important for me to take mm-hmm. and ideally that discussion should have happened with the gp before they left the room they should have said oh i see you're prescribing me four, you know i can't but but you know people don't want to raise those issues when they're sitting in front of a high status person like a general practitioner So what we need, and and what the consequence of that is, there's a significant number of Australians, I think uh, about a uh, couple of hundred, about 7% of all people who get a prescription uh, don't fill it because uh, of cost. And so what we need to be thinking about is what is the role of the GP in that?
1: I was going to say, Stephen, might not a GP in that uh, situation you describe legitimately think that's not my role my role is to tell you my patient what I've determined is um, the problem here and to suggest a solution
0: absolutely but the solution is irrelevant if the if the patient can't afford to do it if the patient can't afford uh, the prescription or whatever Mm -hmm. so so I think one of the one of the a, a good professional interaction needs to think about what happens to the patient after they leave the door? Mm-hmm. You know, we're all on about continuity of care. What happens after the patient leaves the door? What is the holistic patient that we're looking at? The patient we're looking at is not just a collection of body parts. The ca- patient we're looking at is lives in an economic environment, lives in a social environment, lives in a caring and family environment. So, my view is that the 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 Ethical or the professional responsibility of the medical professional ought to be to take into account what those downstream fees might be Mm -hmm. and to think about whether this is going to be an issue.
1: Transparency is all well and good, however, but what about the actual level of the fees? Is there any way or suggested way? to put limits on some of these exorbitant fees. Yeah,
0: so so the code more or less says if you charge a billion dollars, that, as long as you tell the patient mm. you're going to charge a billion dollars, that's okay.
1: Mm.
0: Well, you know, the what we need to be is not only transparent and also transparent in a timely way. That is, you need to know what the fees are before you go into the surgery. Mm-hmm. But we also... The, fares, the The fees need to be fair and reasonable. Now, obviously... There's going to be a debate about what fair and reasonable means sure. uh, and obviously uh, doctors uh, specialists uh, I think uh, need uh, reasonably uh, can charge higher fees than a general practitioner mm-hmm. even though the general practitioners work is complex and a, a practice a specialist who's been in practice for 20 years can probably more reasonably charge fees which are more than a specialist has been in practice for 20 days mm-hmm. so you know there is going to be debate about what is a reasonable fee but i think the 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 professional responsibility is to charge fair and reasonable fees and what's interesting is the lawyers have a statutory responsibility to charge fair and reasonable fees now i'm not going to say that the legal professional regulation is perfect but all i am saying is another profession another high status profession yes. has legislation which says our fees have to be fair and reasonable at least we can have a professional code of conduct which says medical fees ought to be fair and reasonable.
1: So on this measure, at least the the lawyers do it better. That's interesting. (laughs) And finally, Stephen, what about some of the other important issues such as over-diagnosis excessive intervention by the medical profession and we've touched on this the cost of referrals for diagnostic tests specialist consultations so there's a
0: host of issues here which are becoming more and more onto the professional agenda mm-hmm. over-diagnosis unnecessary surgery is one of them there's a whole lot of work being done on that new articles coming out every day in fact i think one is coming out this week from mm-hmm. one of the australian experts in this area but what what we're Saying is overdiagnosis is real and it happens all the time. And it's easy for a doctor to say, Oh, I think you need surgery or I think you need this. But what I think is important is that if you refer someone for an investigation you might open up this pandora's box of unnecessary further investigations unnecessary further treatments and so on so you have to be really clear about why you're ordering a test the patient knows you're ordering the test and so on and so what i've argued is that the professional obligation, the ethical obligation of a medical practitioner needs to be aware of the risk to patients of overdiagnosis and of unnecessary interventions. And they also need to be aware, they need to judge more carefully the balance of risks and benefits of any procedures that they're recommending and make sure all of those risks and benefits are fully disclosed. Because, for example, we know that uh, rates of uh, cesarean section mm-hmm. are increasing rapidly, but I bet many of the women who have the cesarean section aren't aware and aren't briefed on what the costs to them and their baby is from the cesarean section because we know uh, that the health uh, the risks are actually quite important.
1: Mm. So sum up for us, Stephen. How, in a nutshell, would you describe this? draft code of conduct from the medical board so I
0: think always in public policy what's interesting is what's in a document and what's not in a document mm. and the choice of what's not in the document is just as important as what's in the document so this document is a worthy document it's 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 a good document and then and sets out fairly and so on there's nothing in there that you can say is absolutely wrong the problem with the document is is it's not contemporary, it doesn't go far enough and it doesn't address the issues that patients think are important.
1: Thank you, Stephen, for your expertise and your insights today. And thank you to you, our listeners. If you'd like to read Stephen's submission on the Doctor's Code of Conduct or his other articles on the Medical Board's Draft Code, head to our website, grattan.edu.au. And you can stay up to date with all of Grattan's news, reports and events by following us on Twitter, at Grattaninst, or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please help your friends to find it by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for listening.